0: Good morning, everybody. So uh, obviously, there's a couple of elephants in the room we should talk about before we get started, aren't there? So I'm, first off, obviously, I'm not Dave. My name is Odie, if we haven't met. I'm the youth pastor here. If uh, this room ever has a funk to it, or if something is broken, chances are I am in one way or another responsible, and I either apologize or you're welcome, however you feel about that. Um, <laughs> Second thing, which is unexpected, is my teenagers have left a very deceptive hot sauce trap all around me. Uh, And each of you should have a hot sauce packet on your seats. If you don't, I have some extras. Um, (laughs) We'll talk about that in a minute. And finally, um, the chairs I know are weird, and some of you might feel a little extra weird about that, because this is not how we normally do it. just bear with us. It's Youth Pastor Sunday. We're trying new things. Some of it works. Some of it doesn't. That's how it works. Um, also, I beg for your patience. Um, if you are familiar with Frank's Red Hot's marketing campaign, there will be some bleeping today, and um, hopefully that helps things stick in your brain. If you're from an old school church, uh, just just ride with it. There's a reason. Just. just Hang tight for me. So before we start, um, let's pray. Would you guys pray with me? Father God, you rock. We love you. Um, And as we look at your word this morning and we look at our own lives, I pray that you would let my dumb words and my shenanigans fall away and that your truth would bury itself deep, deep into our hearts, Lord, and help us carry it from here out into the world as we decide where we're at with you, where we're at with the people around us, and we look for ways that we can see your kingdom come here on earth. Lord, if anybody hasn't met you or they don't know you or they're far away from you this morning, I pray that this morning maybe would be the day that they hear your voice calling them home and they finally take a step in the right direction. For everybody else, Lord, I pray that you would bless us as we talk about your word this morning and sit in here with us. Because we love you and we want to be with you. Amen. Cool. So uh, before we talk about hot sauce and how much I love hot sauce, let's talk about salt. Salt. Salt's an Old Testament thing. And uh, Jesus mentions it on his Sermon on the Mount. And this has been one of those passages that like, you've probably heard if you've been to church before or if you grew up in church, you've probably heard this passage, but if you really stop and think about it, it kind of doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So let's read it together. I'm going to read more than what's up on the screen just because I got like a weird completion thing about being a Bible geek, but Jesus says this in his Sermon on the Mount. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it up on a stand, and it gives light to everybody in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Salt. If you've been to the doctor lately, and you're at least my age, the doctor has probably talked to you about how much salt you have been eating. Too much salt that you've been eating. Sodium is a real problem in our modern world, right? You eat a Big Mac and you've had enough salt for like the week. My grandparents used to keep this salt shaker at their kitchen table, which was low sodium salt. It was... Salt that wasn't actually salt. How asinine is that? <laughs> and so this passage, we kind of miss the hit with it. We kind of miss what it's actually talking about because we have no problem getting enough salt in our lives. In fact, some of us need to cut down on the salt that we eat. But that's not the case in early Palestine. In Jesus' day, to the people he was talking about, salt was life. Roman soldiers used to be paid part of their wage in salt. Salt was the only way we had to preserve food. There were no refrigerators 200 years ago. They would pack stuff in salt, and their food would stay good. And salt itself... It was a labor-intensive process to get. It was required. Everybody needed to buy salt because you can actually die if you don't have enough of it. But to get it, they would go to the Dead Sea, they would scoop out the water, and they would throw it in these pits. And in the pits, they would let it evaporate off. The water would be evaporated away, and they'd be left with this crust in the pits. And they would scrape that crust up, and they would sell it. Like no processing in between. They would just sell the stuff they scraped off the ground. and That was how you bought your salt. And so chemically, salt cannot lose its saltiness. And yet here Jesus is talking about salt losing its saltiness. Did Jesus not understand chemistry? Did he not understand how salt works. He made it, right? I mean, he's the creator of the universe. How, what does this mean? Well, unlike today, when you can go to Mutzi's and buy a pound of salt for about a buck and you can get salt and coarse, you can get salt and fine, you can get pink Himalayan salt, or you can go to the mall in King of Prussia and go to a salt store and there's 25,000 different salts to try, like it's whiskey or wine. They had one option for salt, and that was this Stuff they scraped off the ground. And, and depending on what layer of scraping you got, and depending on what concentration of minerals was in the water, sometimes you'd buy something that looked like salt, was white and crystalline, just like salt is, but it wasn't actually salt. See, the Dead Sea doesn't just have salt in it. It's got a lot of salt in it, but it's also got gypsum, the stuff we make drywall out of. It's got calcium from dead fish and oyster shells and all kinds of other things from upstream that would flow down in. It has all kinds of other trace minerals in it. So when Jesus says salt losing its saltiness, what he's really talking about is if you accidentally buy impure salt that's more mineral than salt, it's not really good for preserving food, is it? It's not really good for making your soup taste good. It's not good for getting those electrolytes into your body. The only thing it's really good for is gardening. Throwing it on the paths of your garden to keep weeds down. And that's what he's talking about, trampling it underfoot. And so we kind of miss, because of changes in technology and the thousands of years in between us and them, we miss what this passage of Scripture is actually about. And kind of thank goodness we do, because this is me and Dave's job. <laughs> we take this stuff, we, we do the archaeology, we look up what it actually means, and we try to read things like a first-century Jewish person would read them, and then we try to imagine a way to explain it to all of you in a way that hits the same way that it hit for the original people hearing this when Jesus said it the first time. So I've spent the last couple of weeks, since I was told I had to preach, trying to figure out a good, updated metaphor so that you guys can experience this like a first century Jewish person would. And the first thing I thought of was garnish. Garnish. You guys know what garnish is. It's that fancy little bit that you go and you get on a plate at a fancy restaurant And they get to charge you extra for your macaroni and cheese because there's a piece of parsley on top of it. Let's have a look at some garnishes up here. That's a coleslaw with carrots around the outside and the parsley on top. When I was a kid, I used to eat that parsley. Uh, It doesn't taste good. And sometimes they don't even wash it. It's really gross, honestly. Let's see what else. Oh, that's a fried chicken on top of a Bloody Mary. That, That seems excessive. Oh, a pizza and a sandwich. That's probably a hangover cure, let's be honest. And, oh, that's an alligator head in a clamshell. Oh, my gosh. So garnish actually probably isn't a really good metaphor for this, but it's a good metaphor for something else. Church clothes. How I many of you guys had to wear church clothes when you went to church as a kid? Yeah, I had to, too. I went to a fancy Methodist church, and I would go home. And I, was, I was in this cute little suit. And I get in trouble, first off, during church for taking off my tie and throwing it in the pew behind me or for, not, or for losing my jacket or for running around with the kids and sliding on my knees and ripping my pants. It got to the point where it was a ritual. We would get home from church. I would have to go and meticulously hang up my little suit, which I never did the right way. And to be honest, it was the only thing I ever hung up. And I still didn't do it right. And then I would be allowed to change and go out and play. Um, and if you ask my mom, I still didn't get it by the time I was a teenager and they just gave up on me. Um, but I had church clothes and we would wear church clothes at church, right? Cause you had to look nice when you went to church, right? I remember in college, uh, I was at Lancaster Bible college and, um, I went to a church for the first time. Um, And I didn't think anything about it, but it was a nice church. And um, I got there like a half hour early because I didn't pay attention to times. And I was sitting in the narthex waiting for one service to end and another one to begin. And the head usher came out and asked me to leave. And I looked at him in his nice fancy suit. And I looked at me and my ripped jeans and my T-shirt that i have been wearing for three days straight, my greasy hair, and I was like, Oh, you don't want me here because I look dirty. (laughs) And he said to me, next time you come, come presentable for Jesus. He didn't know I was a Bible college student. He didn't know that. I could probably run laps around him with the Old Testament texts. But I understood his point, so I left. I didn't go back to that church. I was talking to my mom about this, actually, yesterday. And she was telling me about a woman, her sixth grade teacher, actually, who she had an interaction with one Sunday morning. Um, this happened when my my mother was 20. She had been driving by the woman's house and the woman had seen her smoking in the front seat of her car. Now my mom was 20, but they went to a big church in a small town. Does that sound familiar at all? And so in the narthex the next Sunday, this woman publicly called my mom out in front of everybody. So like out in our church lobby in front of everybody. How could you do this to your parents? What are you doing? Now, this was in the 70s, so smoking was a little bit more common back then. And I don't know if this woman smoked or not, but she was... She wasn't healthy. Let's put it that way. She was... uh, She ate too much. She lived alone. She was... Probably didn't... Still wasn't alive. But... um, She she didn't live a healthy life. And it was kind of well known. And my mom was telling me about how she had been struggling with the faith anyway, growing up in a very fundamental, very um, appearance-driven household for church, and how she struggled with the hypocrisy of that. And my mom actually went through a very strong time of rebellion before she met my dad and got back on track with God. And she was telling me also about uh, this older gentleman that I knew from church who was her youth leader and how he would on Sunday mornings be riling against drinking alcohol but then have these big, raucous, drunk parties on Friday nights at his house that everyone in town knew about. And as she told me this, she's like, don't judge him too hard because she knows I know the guy. It was a different time, and appearances were what was important but we don't live in that world anymore do we we don't live in a world where the appearances of faith are acceptable instead we live in a world <laughs> we live in a world where hypocrisy is really looked down on hypocrisy is probably the biggest enemy of the church right now we're wearing your church clothes And then living however you want during the week can actually move people away from Christ, just like it moved my mom away from Christ. It seems like we can't go a couple of weeks without hearing about some pastor who took advantage of his congregation by skimming money off the top or by preying upon the at-risk women in his church or worse, the at-risk guys in his church. And the media picks up on this stuff and it ends up everywhere because of the internet. We're not living in a world where the appearance of faith is enough anymore. Our faith has to be genuine, authentic, sincere. And so I think a better metaphor for all this for salt is hot sauce. I have a couple of videos. Let's watch the videos and I'll explain. Goodness, thank you. Ethel, darling, thanks to your sinfully delicious lemon squares, we'll have the new roof paid for in no time. How do you do it? Frank's red hot sauce. I put that on everything. (laughs) Frank's Red Hot, I put that on everything. Frank's Red Hot. I put that on everything. Even on pizza? Add nachos and wings. My co-worker's lunch? Yep. How about on E5? You betcha. On the Girl food? Totally. On a burrito? Definitely. Do you have a burrito? Uh, no, I don't. Mm. What about on whatever this is? Of course. How about on astronaut food? Affirmative. How about on astronauts? Yes, everything. You know, It's the perfect blend of flavor and heat. I put that on everything. All right, so maybe that's a little bit of a rough way to say it, right? But... Hopefully, it will also stick in your brain a little bit. Our faith, like hot sauce, is supposed to be something that we put on every aspect of our life. And I like hot sauce. In fact, some people in the first service warned me about being so enthusiastic about hot sauce, in case people start giving it to me. Um, I am a single dude. I cook alone at home a lot, and I'm not very good at it. So hot sauce is my saving grace. Um, and I know that maybe not your family, obviously not your family, but some families have those people in their families who cook food for big meals like Christmas or New Year's, and the, um, it's kind of bland, it's kind of tasteless, and you gotta, you got to reach for that hot sauce and put it on there just to survive. Not your family, obviously, or definitely not you. But sometimes you need a little bit of hot sauce to save some food. I, uh, I grew up my grandmother's cooking, she would put hot sauce in every single soup that she made. She always had soup. Whenever we went to my grandmother's house, she always had soup. It was like this eternal pot of soup cooking, and it would morph from one soup into another one somehow. She was awesome, but she always would put hot sauce in her soup, and not just a little bit, like half a bottle. Um, and spaghetti sauce. I put spaghetti so- uh, hot sauce in all of my spaghetti sauce. And ramen, I put sriracha in that. And I even found uh, a recipe for hot sauce brownies this week. I was looking for lemon squares. Couldn't find anything about lemon squares, but I found hot sauce brownies, and I'm really interested in it. Um, and if you've ever had hot cocoa with a little bit of red pepper flakes in it, you know that that is like a life-changing experience. It's delicious. Um, And somebody in the first service actually yelled out um, hot sauce on chocolate ice cream. I want to try that one. Um, It might be bad. It might be great. You don't know. You don't know. (laughs) But hot sauce is a much better metaphor for salt. So if Jesus was here today and he was talking to us, he probably wouldn't say, has your salt lost its saltiness? He would probably say, how hot is your hot sauce. How much life and color and flavor are you giving the world around you with your life? And that's what I want to explore this morning, because we've got New Year's coming up. And I know New Year's is just really like an arbitrary place in our orbit. But still, for our brains and the way our, our hearts and our minds work, this is a really good opportunity to make a quick change. Now that change might not stick and we all struggle with that, I know, especially if we're going to the gym. But it's an opportunity. So, you all have a packet of hot sauce. Take it home with you today. If you need to, if you start getting sleepy halfway through my sermon, you can suck on it to wake yourself up a little bit. (laughs) But take this home with you and put it somewhere where you're going to look at it to remind you of the things we're going to talk about today. And we're going to talk about, specifically, this section in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. And if you want, uh, on the YouVersion Bible app, I've got all this stuff out with notes and you can save it and all that kind of stuff. But Romans uh, 12, 9 is really awesome because it breaks itself down into four parts really, really easily. So the first part is just Romans 12, verse 9. And the first test about how hot is your hot sauce is how hot are you inside? And it says this, love must be sincere, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. So the first question is, are you garnish or are you hot sauce? Are you garnish or are you hot sauce? Is your faith one of those things you put on for Christian situations so that you get accepted? Were you out in the parking lot, arguing with your family, and then did the smile wipe, and you're great once you hit the front doors and the greeters? My mom used to do that all the time. She was a master of it. She'd be yelling at me on the way to church, probably because my suit was disheveled or something, or I made her late, and we'd be walking in the door, and it'd be, and then we'd open the car door, and it was just a smile, and it was weird, and it's a superpower that I have never inherited She'd probably be mad at me when she hears this. Um, (laughs) But that's a garnish, church clothes kind of faith. But we're called to have a sincere faith, a true faith. And that means if you're struggling with something, if your life is messy, if something's going wrong, don't hide it. I mean, honestly, the best fertile ground for sin and destruction in your life is secrecy. I see it all the time. When people keep a little secret, suddenly they keep a bigger secret and a bigger secret and a bigger secret and pretty soon that garden grows destruction. And that's what this is all about. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. And I know that that is actually a really difficult thing to honestly do because evil is fun. And evil gives it to you right now, doesn't it? But good, good grows good things in the long term. And good is setting the foundation for good hot sauce in your life. The second test is in uh, is verses 10 to 13. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, be patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. <laughs> Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. This second section is asking how hot is your hot sauce here in our church family, or at home with your family, or at work with your community? How hot is your hot sauce among other Christians? Are you actually using your hot sauce? Or are you letting it sit in the shelf for years and years and years, forgetting that you had it? I use my hot sauce at home when I cook all the time. I go through it. In fact, I was talking to somebody earlier about a hot sauce that I really love and I can't find right now because I guess it's sold out. I have no idea. But hot sauce is meant to be used. We be put here and there on everything to bring life and vibrancy. So are you using your hot sauce to the benefit of everybody around you? Or are you keeping it to yourself? That's what this is all about. And there's some really Christian churchy words in here, right? Lacking in zeal, spiritual fervor, patient in affliction. This sounds super Christian, right? Like super Jesus-y what do those things mean? Well, lacking in zeal just means remembering the passion that you have when Jesus is close and not letting things get stale. I read my Bible every day, but I got to change up the version I read. I got to change up how I read the Bible. Sometimes I got to listen to it in audiobook. I got to do all kinds of things to keep it fresh all the time. And I bet you do too. Sometimes I'll draw pictures, sometimes I'll listen to worship music. You got to keep things fresh and alive. Because that kind of stuff goes stale really easy, especially because of how comfortable we are. There's nothing worse for faith than comfort. When we're comfort, when we're not stretching, when we're not struggling with something, that's when things get stale and we need that hot sauce to come back. Patient in affliction, that just means sitting in the mess, going through it. The next section... It's about how we deal with those who are outside of our faith. Those non-Christians that you interact with all the time. And it's Romans 12, 14 through 16. It says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless them and do not curse. Rejoice with those who... Rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with position, people of low position. And do not be conceited. Jewish people... Do this awesome thing that I love. It's called sitting shiva. Sitting Shiva. When a tragedy happens in someone's life in the Jewish faith, they don't offer consolement. They don't send a card with a pithy response in it. They don't give them a quick phone call, hey, thinking of you. Hey, God's got a plan. No, what they'll do is they will go to the person who's struggling's house. They will sit with them quietly. They will let that person scream at them. They will make sure that person eats and drinks and gets rest. They will cover the basic necessities. They will sit with that person and share their pain. so that that person doesn't struggle or suffer alone. And this is a practice of the early church. This is a practice of things that we've kind of gotten away from. But this is exactly what we're talking about here. Mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice. In our interactions with non-Christians, with people who do not share our faith, this is how we are called to live. Not matching their conduct, but sitting with them in their mess and loaning them a little bit of our hot sauce. See, life without Jesus is super bland. I remember from before I was a Christian, life is bland without Christ. It's like it's in black and white or it's like you never use any spices. But I came to faith when my teenage friends who were Christians came around me and offered me their spice. I was going through all kinds of dumb teenage drama, and they would drive out, and they would sit with me. We'd go get coffee and stale donuts from the only coffee place in town. They would sit with me and share in my pain, and we'd talk about how Jesus was making things better, and I found that I was following Jesus with my life, and so when the time came and I decided to make it permanent, I knew what I was getting into. I had tasted their hot sauce, and I wanted it for myself. This is how we are called to live. And it's important to see what's not up there. What's not up there is confront other people. What's not up there is tell them the wrong. What's not up there is fight for your rights. Just as important as what is up there, sitting Shiva and sharing in their pain and sharing in their joy is what's not up there. And we see this all the more as we get to the last section, which is about dealing with our enemies. Romans 12, 17 through 21 says this. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, From your end of things, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath or his vengeance. For it is written, it is mine to avenge and I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We have this wonderful and great example in Jesus Christ. At the end of his life, he could have called down legion upon legion of angels to come and defend him in the garden. Peter took a swing at one of the other guys and somehow only cut off his ear, which I will never understand how you can only cut off someone's ear with a sword, but he did it. And in all of that, Jesus stopped them. And he submitted himself to death. He let the Romans win. And in doing so, he had victory not just here on earth, but victory forever. Forward and backward to the ends of time itself. And he made it possible that we could be followers of his. And we are called to do the same. We live in a busted and broken world, don't we? It's really easy to see right now. And no matter how you feel about what's going on in the world, where politically you find yourself, this one thing is true. We are called to put others first and to live lives of love doesn't always mean that we agree with other people, but it means that we love them and respect them. It doesn't always mean that we roll over for other people. We set boundaries that are healthy. But in everything, we maintain those relationships so that our hot sauce can be tasted and seen by others. Because in Christian history, we have not won by force of arms, or by our might. We went from 12 guys and Jesus in a room to 5,000 to the official religion of the Roman Empire in just a few generations, all without modern technology, no cell phones, no telephones, no internet. We didn't even have cars to drive to the ends of the earth. We had to walk there. And time and time again, the faith was spread through our self sacrifice, through martyrdom, through love in radical ways. Back when Christians were jailed, they were literally chained to prison guards. And we have multiple stories in scripture of when those prison guards said, I want to be a Christian and accepted jail with the people they were chained to. Radical, life-changing love. Early Christians changed the world with this love. And we today can do the exact same thing. We can look at this busted and broken world and not see it as a terrible thing, but see it as an opportunity for our hot sauce to flavor everything we touch. By doing what these verses say. So the question for you this morning, and the question for you as we're coming in ugh, into New Year's, is how hot is your hot sauce? How much is your hot sauce changing the world around you? I look at these verses, and I think about all the things I could do better. And Cornerstone, we're doing pretty good here. i got to tell you, we're doing much better than a lot of churches in our area. Our hot sauce is changing our community, but we can do better. It's up to each of us to decide how we can do better individually to see these big, massive changes together. So take this packet home with you. Put it somewhere you can see it and think about Today, how is my hot sauce going to be a little bit hotter? do you guys want to pray with me <laughs> father God you you are awesome and I thank you for the ways that our lives can change those around us I thank you that we live in such a bland and tasteless world sometimes because You've given us something that can change the people around us. Lord, I pray that you would send your spirit upon us, that you would put yourselves in our hearts and in our minds so that we can have an honest look at ourselves and decide how we're going to change ourselves. In this new year, how we're going to make our sauce a little hotter. And Lord, give us opportunities to spread that hot sauce around. You're a good God and we love you. I thank you for everyone here this morning. Amen.